Uh, we're starting a four-week sermon series. You can maybe guess what the topic might be. We're in Advent. Uh, the title of the series is Gifted, and we're going to look at the gift of God that is Jesus Christ, but we're going to look at it through the prophecy of Isaiah. So if you have a Bible or your phone or a touchpad or whatever you may use, you can turn, if you like, to Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to be looking for the next uh, four times we're together, the next three Sundays and then Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at the names of Jesus that Isaiah prophesies uh, about 700 years before Jesus came and what those names mean to us today. Do they have any impact on our lives today? So we're going to look at that first uh, name today, which is Wonderful Counselor. But before we jump into that, have you ever had the experience where you thought you were pretty smart and you thought you kind of had a lot of wisdom? You're probably smarter than other people around you, but that turned out not to be true. I'm sure none of you have ever had that experience, but maybe you've had an experience where you needed just a little more wisdom than you really had at that particular moment. Uh, when we think about the gift of God in Christ Jesus, we typically think in terms of salvation, and, and rightly so. Uh, Jesus is the Savior of the world, and so it's appropriate for us to think in those terms. But uh, there's more to this story of salvation. There's more that, that makes up the person of Jesus Christ than just our salvation. It's much more uh, richer and fuller. And so what we want to do is looking at this passage, kind of perhaps uh, be reminded, or maybe for the first time, expand our vision of the, the true identity of the Savior uh, of mankind, the Lord Jesus. So Isaiah chapter 9, just two verses, verse 6 and 7, hear the word of God. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we, we pray this morning for your wisdom. Lord, we pray that you would allow us to see your wisdom in the person of our, of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for the promises that you make in your word, not only to save and to redeem, but also to transform our hearts and our minds and our lives. Father, we thank you for this word that was written before Jesus uh, ever arrived on this planet and yet so accurately describes who he was in his earthly ministry and who he is today as he sits at your right hand. Father, we pray that you would teach us, not so that we would know more, not so that we would be smarter, but that we would apply your word to our lives and our lives would be changed. Father, we face many difficult circumstances. We do not live in a perfect world. We are not perfect people. We live sometimes with fear and doubt and anxiety. Uh, sometimes we, we don't know which way to turn. So I pray this morning that the wonderful counselor would speak his truth into our lives, that we would uh, listen, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to grasp and minds and intellect to understand what we need to know in order to have his lordship make an impact in our lives. 
So, Father, we haven't come to hear me or my thoughts. We come to hear your word and sat for which we pray. Forgive my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of uh, understanding uh, your glorious truth today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to kind of dig into the names of Jesus this morning. We're going to, in just a minute or two, look at the name Wonderful Counselor. Uh, but before we do, let's kind of set the stage a bit. Uh, the Sermon in a Sentence this morning actually is a quote from Charles Spurgeon, who's a very famous preacher in England, uh, roughly a couple hundred years ago, give or take a few years. And he said this about this particular name. When we go to Christ, we get wisdom. We get love. We get sympathy. We get everything that can possibly be wanted in a counselor. So Spurgeon is, is broadening our picture, and I think that's a, a very wise sentence to help us understand that it's not just salvation, it's that plus much, much more. And how many of us need a counselor? How many of us need guidance? How many of us need direction? Now, lest you think that when Isaiah wrote these words, he was sitting in an ivory tower with no problems, uh, being contemplative and enjoying the breeze and a wonderfully easy life. Let me uh, remind you or maybe introduce you for the first time that Isaiah lived in a time of great turmoil. Isaiah lived in a time of unrest. We have experienced in the history of this country a civil war, 150-something years ago when that civil war was fought. But at the end of that civil war, the union was restored and we were brought back together. Isaiah lived in a post-Civil War era in his nation, but his nation was never healed. It had stayed splintered to his day. And the northern part of that kingdom had actually been conquered by the local bullies, the Assyrians, and they were in abject ruin. And Isaiah's small portion of what was left, the southern part, which is called Judah, was under constant threat from the Assyrians. Their economy was upside down. Their religious leaders had abandoned their faith and had turned away from God and were preaching a word that was, that was no word at all. And his circumstances were completely a mess. And if you were to read the first five verses of chapter nine, you would understand that because you would see words like gloom and anguish, contempt, darkness, not just darkness, but deep darkness, burden, the rod of the oppressor. The, he speaks of the tool that's used to beat people into submission. Isaiah lived in difficult times, not too different from ours. I don't know how many of you still watch the news on a regular basis. I quit. Uh, I just can't quite take it anymore. I glance at it every now and then, but I do not look at the news on a daily basis because this just gets too overwhelming for me sometimes. Isaiah lived in a day like we live. He understood the pain and the struggle uh, in life. And yet, if you go back and you read verses one through five, you see some other words in that text where Isaiah speaks of a transition that's going to take place. And he uses words like glorious, great light, increased joy, harvest. And the notion of the harvest there is like a, a bumper crop, like it's so much you, you can't possibly gather it all in. And he uses the word spoil, the notion of being victorious and enjoying the benefits of being on the winning side. Why this new hope? Isaiah's circumstances hadn't changed. There, in Isaiah's lifetime, there, there was no long-term significant relief for the people of Judah. The people to whom he prophesied didn't experience some amazing revival and didn't change their lives and, and kind of walk off into the sunset. What changed? What happened that Isaiah would use these types of words as he's thinking about the brokenness of this world? After all, 
if you live in St. Louis, you can understand the transition that took place from 2015 in Chicago to 2016 in Chicago when the Cubs won the World Series for the first time in 108 years, right? We don't like to talk about that too much because the Cardinals don't seem to be going anyplace fast right now, but at least we have a few more World Series since 1908. But you could understand, you could see why everybody in Chicago was having a big confetti party and going crazy and enjoying life because the Cubs had finally won. Isaiah doesn't have that experience. Nobody won. It's still a pretty tough place, and yet he speaks in terms of joy. What's transpired is that he has seen the promise of God. He has heard God speak of his promise. If you look at the beginning of verse 6, we see this promise begin to unfold. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The notion here is that this is going to be a, a human person that's going to represent the divine. That this child that, that comes is going to be sent from God. He's going to be a gift that's given for our benefit. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Not for judgment, not for condemnation, but for salvation, for grace. This divine ruler is going to be given for our benefit. To what benefit do we need? Well, what, what needs do you have in your life? Maybe the better way to ask the question would be, what don't we need, right? You think about needing, at this time of year, emotional stability. You think about needing spiritual depth to deal with the issues of your life. You think about the common sense that you need to have in your life just to kind of make your way day in and day out. The financial sense you need to have to stretch your dollars as far as you possibly can. The, the sense you need to raise children or the sense you need to be a child who's being raised by parents that you don't always understand. Their motives are why they're doing what they do. They're, the list is endless of our needs. And this one is given in order that we might experience a holistic redemption. Because as we said earlier, our salvation is not just about heaven. It's not just about being, being saved from our sins, but it's about experiencing an everlasting relationship with God that changes everything about us, even in the midst of a broken world. So what does it mean? to be in a relationship with the wonderful counselor. I have three observations about this name this morning. We'll, we'll dive into these and see what God may have for us. The first is this, every one of us needs divine intervention. Like you, I have a few good friends. Probably everybody in this room has at least a couple of people that they can call a good friend or a family member that loves them well, that, that uh, offers advice and encouragement. But there's something about even the best of friends even about those that, that are even the most wise among us, where their wisdom doesn't always help us completely solve our issues. They, 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 they can be well-intended, but they seem to fall short. And in fact, if we're not careful, we can be very well-meaning with one another and offer each other really bad advice, right? You've maybe been in that circumstance where somebody's offered you some advice and you say, you know, God bless you, right? And if, if you offer someone advice and they say that to you, they say, God bless you, that's a very polite way of them telling you to be quiet because what you're saying doesn't make any sense, right? So good intentions don't get it done. Wonderful means divine. Wonderful means supernatural. Wonderful before counselor means that the, the advice offered, the, the person who's going to, to give this, uh, this care and this love in a very practical way is the one who sees all 
is the one who knows all, and the one who understands all. This person is not going to be limited in their scope. I can only see so much. You can only see so much. Our humanity means we are limited. We're limited in our wisdom. Our, our wisdom is corrupted by our sin, but not this one. This one from God is the wonderful counselor. And so Paul writes it this way in Colossians chapter two. He talks about his great struggle for those that are in Laodicea. He wants their hearts to be encouraged, to be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. What's this mystery? Which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. There is one who knows all the answers. There is one who's actually the personification of all the answers. There is one who is wonderful. And there is no challenge in my life nor yours that is beyond his scope of care and love and compassion. I'm going to bring you back to, to my friend Charles Spurgeon. He was writing, uh, or he was speaking, actually, this is from a sermon he gave, on this name, Wonderful Counselor. <coughs> Excuse me. And he says this, Remember, there's nothing that happens in your daily life but what was first of all devised in eternity and counseled by Jesus Christ for your good and in your behalf that all things might work together for your lasting benefit and promise, or excuse me, profit. Oh, how strange providence seems to you and me. Does it not look like a zigzag line this way and that, backward and forward, like the journeys of the children of Israel in the wilderness? Ah, my brethren, but to God, it is a straight line. Directly, God always goes to his object. And yet to us, he often seems to go round about us. Let us learn to leave providence in the hands of the counselor. I believe that's exactly right. When I struggle with the challenges of this life, not just my salvation, I need to go to the wonderful counselor who is the divine one. But secondly, not only do we need divine intervention, but we also need sound judgment. So the word wonderful is first, but the second word is counselor. And the notion there, I've given you some, some kind of synonyms there, a guide, a director, uh, an advisor, a confidant, someone who can offer you insight. Maybe you've had a life coach at some point uh, in your career as an adult and someone who's come alongside you to, to offer you that kind of care. They tend to be people who really work hard to tell us what's most important. They really want to help us understand the deeper things of life. They don't typically try to live at the surface. They try to dig in pretty deep and offer us counsel that is very helpful and very beneficial. Let me give you an example of how Jesus is a wonderful counselor. If you go to Mark's gospel, the very first chapter in Mark, if you have one of those Bibles that has red ink where Jesus speaks, this is the very first thing that Mark records in his gospel that Jesus said. And here's, here's the sound judgment of Jesus. John was arrested. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Gospel literally means good news, right? So Jesus came preaching, proclaiming the good news of God. Well, what's the good news of God? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news of God. That salvation has come into the world. The most important advice you need your entire life is how to have a proper response to the claims of Jesus. And Jesus is very clearly saying the most important thing you can do is recognize me. 
to understand that I'm the embodiment of the good news of God. I've come to bring not condemnation and not judgment, but to bring salvation, to bring wisdom, to be the wonderful counselor. That is why he he speaks on what's most important and draws us into the kingdom of God. I've done counseling before. I, I don't mean done like I've been the one that's given counsel. I mean, I've gone to counseling. Some of you maybe have gone to counseling. I've gone to counseling several times in my life, and there are two things that are true in my experience about counseling. The first one is I hated it. Couldn't, <laughs> couldn't stand it, right? The second thing is directly related to the first. The reason I couldn't stand it, the reason I hated it was because they're so nice. They just, you know, they smile at you and they kind of lean in while you're talking and they say things like, that's fascinating. That's really interesting. Talk a little more about that. And then you talk a little more about that. And then they say, you know, Tom, maybe what you're struggling with isn't, isn't this, but maybe it's this. And then you fall apart. <laughs> and the reason you fall apart is because they've hit the nail on the head and they're exactly right. And you scratch your head and you go, how do they do that to me? How did that happen? I don't, I don't get this. If you're a counselor, you're like a magician. I don't know how you do this stuff, but it's truly remarkable. But the reason I get so upset about it is because they show the brokenness in my life. They show the pain in my life for what it really is and how ugly it can be and how harmful it can be to me and how harmful it can be to other people. And so you understand why sometimes you're like, eh, I don't know if I want to hear the good news because the good news penetrates deep into my heart. But you got to have a counselor that loves you enough to tell you the truth. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's giving good, sound judgment. And he's right. He's the, he's the love of God. He is the person of the Godhead who takes away your sin and my sin. We need a counselor that will tell us the truth. But also this counselor has sound judgment because he speaks from experience. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. The author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus in this context. And he says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What this verse is saying is that every temptation you've ever faced. Now, just think for a minute. Come up with at least three temptations you had to deal with this week. I'll wait. I'm serious. Think about it. At least three temptations. Jesus had all three of those and many, many more. The temptation to anger. Jesus was tempted to be angry. He had 12 knuckleheads as disciples. How could he not be tempted to anger, right? Tempted to take the easy way out and not hang in there and go the whole way. Satan said, if you just bow down to me, you don't have to go to the cross. I'll give you everything. You can have it. We'll go our separate ways and be happy. Every temptation that you've ever had and that I've ever had in any area of our lives, Jesus has had it. There's a difference though between your temptation and my temptation and Jesus in the sense that Jesus never quit. Jesus never stopped short. Jesus never said, you know what? I'm going to give in to my selfish pleasure and I'm going to let the rest of them go to hell. Never said that. I say that in my actions all the time. I hope I don't use that language all the time, but I say that in the way I live my life. I don't care about you. I'm I'm doing what I want for me. Jesus never did that. He never quit. He sought all the way to the end and the end took him to the cross. And the only reason you have hope this morning, the only reason I have hope this morning is because Jesus never quit. He saw it all the way through. I don't, I don't understand that fortitude. I don't understand that perseverance. I, I can't get my mind around it, but I'm grateful 
for it. I'm grateful that the counselor that speaks to me understands what it means for me to be tempted. I read an article recently about a mom who had gone out to San Diego to watch her son graduate from the Navy SEAL training course. And when her son started, and I, 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 I'm not sure how many weeks it is, 10 or 12 or 16 weeks, but when her son started, there were 200 individuals in the class. And when they graduated, there were 20 that graduated. And so her, after the graduation ceremony, the mom said, I went up to one of the instructors and I said, I have a question. I, I wonder if you could help me with it. He said, what, what, what do you need? She said, could you tell me the difference between the 20 and the 180? What's the difference between those two groups? And and she said, he didn't blink an eye, didn't hesitate. He said, oh, that's very simple. There's only one difference, but it's a profound difference. What is it? The difference is they would rather die than quit. That's what defines the 20. They would rather die than quit, right? Now, multiply that times a billion, and you have Jesus, who would not quit on you who would not quit on me, would not give in to temptation as, as good as it looked, as wonderful as, as, it, as it felt at the moment. He did not give in. We need sound judgment, and Jesus is there to provide it because he's experienced every struggle that is ours. Thirdly, not only do we need divine intervention, not only do we need sound judgment, we need a thorough grace. We said at the beginning that this is not just about salvation. It's not just about heaven but it's also about never being abandoned and never being alone. This time of year can be very joyful, but if you're out of sorts with a family member or you've lost a loved one in the last year, it can feel very lonely. You can feel like there isn't anybody in your corner that really understands you, but there is Jesus who is the one who Isaiah says in another place is Emmanuel, is God with us. He is the one that never leaves us. Our wonderful counselor is always present. You never get put on hold when you go to speak with Jesus. You're never told he's out of the office and you'll need to try back later. In this last week, I've talked to people at Green Tree about the following issues. Their children, their marriage, serious illness, aging issues, and death. And that was just this week and it's the Christmas time of year. Okay, right? Pain doesn't take a holiday. And I can't be available for everybody at Green Tree. Not only can I not be available for everybody at Green Tree, I don't have the answers. I don't have all of the sound judgment that Jesus brings. I I don't have the thorough grace that's necessary. I can be a brother. I can be a friend. I can be a listening ear. I can try to care for you well. I I can help you apply the, the grace of God that's given to us through Scripture. But at the end of the day, we need a thorough grace, someplace where we can go and it's always there, and that's the Lord Jesus. He's present in every circumstance, giving wise counsel, giving insight. I may forget to seek wisdom. I may decide not to seek his wisdom. I may decide I want to go my own way, but that's on me. That's not on him. He never fails to share. Look at what the psalmist said in Psalm 16. David writes, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. It makes it sound like He's saying, at night, I, I come up with my own answers. What he's saying is, in the, in the night, my emotions remind me of how the Lord has given me counsel. I have the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Now, you can't read First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament and think that David was never shaken. David was in some horrific circumstances all throughout his adult life. From the time he was a teenager until the time he died, David had challenge after challenge after challenge, and yet he says, I'm not shaken. Why? Because the circumstances cleared up? 
And everything got great, bed of roses? No, because the Lord was at his right hand. Friends, do you take advantage of the wonderful counselor? He's there for us. The question isn't whether he's wonderful. He's divine. He's the divine intervention we need. He offers sound judgment. He's always there with a thorough love and compassion. The question isn't whether or not this child born, the son given, is wonderful counselor. It's whether or not we will go to him. So the way we're, we're going to do something a little different this month, uh, I've asked our elders and our pastors if they would be willing to be the wrap-up for the sermon every Sunday. So uh, you're going to hear this morning from Corbett Heimberger, who's going to come, and he's going to take two, three minutes, and he's going to talk a little bit about what Wonderful Counselor means to him, and then he's going to pray for us. Next Sunday, it'll be somebody else at the 11 o'clock, and for those of you that have sat here the whole time thinking they forgot to light the Advent candle... We didn't. We saved it to the end. <laughs> Corbett, thanks for coming to share. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And as he was preparing to leave this earth, he said to his disciple, I will ask the Father, and he will send you another counselor, the Spirit of Truth. That's his promise. And he says you will know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. He also said, it's better for you if I go away. And I'm sure the disciples thought, no, please don't go. It's better for you if I go away because if I don't go away, I cannot send you that counselor. You see, he knew that if he stayed in bodily form, he wouldn't be available to everyone on this earth who believes him 24-7. And he knew that we needed that kind of immediate and intimate counsel. I'm always astounded, always astounded that God is alive in me. I'm so broken and so often mis. Directed. But God is present as my wonderful counselor. It started for me getting, becoming aware of this with the promise that God gave us through James. In chapter 1, he said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who will give generously without telling us, Hey, idiot, you should have known this earlier. That's without reproach, right? Hey, you should have known this earlier. But he says, if you ask, he gives generously. And so I have found that every time I stop and say, God, I don't know what to do here. Will you give me wisdom? Every time he answers, it could be weeks, months, sometimes even hours or minutes or seconds. That became most obvious to me when I started preparing Bible lessons and sermons. I would say, God, I don't get this passage. What's going on here? And as I continue to think, all of a sudden, an idea pops in my head. And I think about that, and I look at it, and it just makes sense. And I think, wow, I'm just not that smart. I just couldn't have come up with that. And so here it is. And it's a sense of, oh, he's there, he's alive, he's communicating with me, he listens, he knows my circumstances, my thoughts, my feelings, my desires, and my choices. And out of all of that, he speaks into me. 
And sometimes, sometimes he just does it even when I'm not paying attention and maybe not be so willing. About a year and a half after my divorce, I was dating a woman. And on our second date, we were sitting across the table from one another. And two thoughts entered my head simultaneously unbidden. Here's a woman you can live with for the rest of your life. And secondly, you can take her home to your family and they will love her. That was 17 years ago. My wife, Carol, is that woman. And those things are still astoundingly true. The Holy Spirit grabbed me at a moment when I wasn't listening and led me because he knew without him I was going to miss it for sure. <laughs> so let me, let me encourage you. Do you not want to miss it? Do you want to get it? So let's take a minute just right now before I pray for you to say, wonderful counselor, will you counsel me? I'll give you a moment to do that in your own heart. As I said earlier, Father, we are astounded that you would dwell in us such broken, misguided, angry, resentful, resistant, and you come in in spite of all of that and draw us to yourself. And so I pray that you would continue that process in the heart of everyone here, that your name may be glorified and that we might enjoy your wisdom and presence. I ask that in his name. Amen.